0: again to the perimeter church podcast where do you go in case of severe weather in the plains some houses have underground storm cellars used to ride out severe thunderstorms or tornadoes the key is to have some place safer to go until the storm passes when the storms of temptation come where do you go for shelter Teaching team member Bob Cargo brings us this message entitled, Three Weapons Against Temptation, which covers Psalm 141. Thank you for joining us today.
1: When I say the word uh, temptation, what comes to your mind? I don't know what uh, comes to your mind when I say the word temptation, but I know that something comes to your mind, probably something very specific. And I know that about you because I know that about myself and I know that about all of us. And I also know that when I say the word temptation, there are probably other things that should come to your mind and to my mind, but about those sins, you know, we have blinders on. Uh, we're in denial about those things, but, but we should be thinking of them. But here's something that we all absolutely wrestle with. We all face temptation. Last week, you did and I did. Next week, you will and I will. I will. Temptations come to us in a lot of different forms, don't they? Sometimes temptations attack us ferociously like a lion. We see it coming, we're aware of it, we want to resist it, and time and again it overpowers us. Other temptations slither to us silently like a serpent, and before we know it, we've blown it. Temptations tend to take different forms at different stages of life, right? Candies for the kids, sensuality for the young, Riches for the middle age, power for the aging. Temptation can be like a chameleon. Without a doubt, for me, temptations plague my life daily. Pastors are not exempt from temptation. We face it every day. In fact... Jesus' harshest words of rebuke, did you know this, were not for the irreligious people of his day who were committing the sins of the flesh. His harshest rebukes were for the religious leaders of the day who were guilty of horrible sins of the heart and of the spirit. And for me, daily and weekly, I wrestle against temptations, temptations of spiritual pride, temptations of the despair of unbelief, temptations of making an idol out of the approval and applause of other people. Temptations of self-centeredness and self-seeking and selfishness. The temptation of workaholism. The temptation of being unwilling to forgive. The list could go on and on. I face temptations just like you. And for me, when a temptation of the flesh comes along, I know it's probably because I've already buckled to one of those temptations of the heart. That's where the battle really is. Let me ask you, where are your battles about temptation? Do you battle against the temptation to want what other people have? Here in the affluent north suburbs of Atlanta, that could be the temptation for most all of us. No matter how much God has given you, isn't it easy to look at the people at the next subdivision and want what they have, wish you could have as much as they did, or to look at another person who professionally has an opportunity that you don't have, or someone who has abilities that you don't have, and Perhaps your greatest temptations are coveting what God hasn't given you and wishes you had what God gave somebody else. Maybe your temptations are the temptations to spin the truth, to exaggerate things, to make yourself look better, or to just out and out lie to cover your tracks when you blow it. Maybe your temptation is that there have been people in your life who have hurt you and you are carrying bitterness, you're carrying hatred. There's a murderous heart that you have. And every time that person's name comes up, you're tempted to hate them all over again. Maybe you hate your parents instead of honoring them. Maybe you're a, you have a sex addiction. Sexual addiction is rampant in our culture. And maybe you're one of those that you find it very, very hard to be faithful to your spouse, at least in mind and in heart and with your eyes, if not actually with your body. Perhaps you... Treat Sunday just like another Saturday, and honoring the Sabbath is not on the radar for you. Or maybe, maybe this is the worst of all, maybe your temptation is that you do everything on the outside that looks right. Hard for anybody to find you actually doing something that looks wrong, but you know in your heart of hearts you're doing it for your own glory. You're doing it so that people will look up to you and pat you on the back as a good moral person. Where are your battles of temptation? Let me give you a picture of what temptation is. It comes from a psychologist and pastor and missionary named John White. He said, imagine going to a piano and opening the top. Press down the loud pedal, he says, and then sing as loudly as you can a note into the piano. At least one or more chords of that piano will vibrate in response to your voice. But, he says, the chords of the piano were not made to respond to a voice. They were made to respond to a hammer that responds to the keys of someone who's playing hopefully beautiful music. He says temptation is like when the evil one yells into the piano. And the very good chords that God has put into our hearts vibrate to the wrong tune. The very good desires that God has placed within us should be responding to the beautiful fingers of our Savior and Lord who would tell us how to lead our lives. And temptation Satan presents to us, the challenge or the opportunity to use good desires in the wrong way for the wrong purpose or to the wrong degree. That's what temptation is all about. Let's talk today about facing our temptations and how we can get a better batting average of saying no. If you have a Bible, look with me, please, at Psalm 141. Psalm 141, you also have an insert in your bulletin called Points to Remember. It will give you the outline of today's message on page 1 and the text of the message on page 2. Let me give you the context of this uh, sermon and of this text from Psalm 141. Here's what's going on behind it before we begin to read it. It's a psalm written by David, David was the shepherd boy who killed Goliath and grew up to be the most famous and maybe the most important king of Israel. And this psalm was probably written at a time in which David had killed Goliath, but before he became king. Now David had periods of his life in which he caved in to temptation, most famously committing adultery with Bathsheba and then killing Bathsheba's husband to cover that up. But this psalm came from an earlier period in David's life in, when he was, in which his batting average against temptation was much higher, and he was standing strong to follow the Lord. This probably came at a time after he killed Goliath, and after that, King Saul promoted David to be actually a military leader of the army, and he became a good friend of Saul's son, Jonathan. And David was so successful, so successful as a military leader that, in fact, the people of Israel made up a song. And the song said, Saul has slain his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. It was obvious that this young charismatic leader, David, was taking the hearts of the people and Saul became so jealous, Saul began to try to take David's life over and over again. David and the soldiers who were faithful to him had to flee. And so he was on the run and on the lamb, and probably the occasion in which David wrote Psalm 141 was a very specific time. In which David and his soldiers were hiding in caves not far from Jerusalem. And Saul and his army were in pursuit. And God gave David, by his providence, the perfect chance to kill Saul. David was hiding in a cave. And Saul came into that cave. And David saw Saul, but Saul did not see David. And David could have taken Saul's life. But he was convinced that Saul was the Lord's anointed beside Saul. And apart from all the wackiness of Saul's life, that vengeance would be in God's hand and not in David's. And for David, it would have been a sin to speak against Saul or to take his life. I want you to hear, get the picture here. David could have been tempted to have just fallen in with the evil regime of Saul, but he refused. And on the other hand, he could have taken the advice of evil men who said, go ahead and kill Saul. It won't matter. But he refused to do that. He did not want to sin against Saul, and he did not want to sin against the Lord. David was a warrior, and I would, I would give you Psalm 131 or 141 as a psalm about three weapons against temptation. That's the title of today's message, Three Weapons Against Temptation. And My hope is by the time we're through with this psalm and by the time we're through with this sermon, that your attitude will be that you can believe the promise of God in the New Testament, that no temptation has overtaken you, but such is its common demand. But God will not allow you to be tested beyond what you're able, but with the temptation will give you a way of escape also. We're not going to read this whole psalm before we start. We're just going to read part by part as we unpack these three weapons against temptation. Are you ready to dig in? Okay, let's start. Brian said go, so I'm going to go. We got somebody talking back to me. That's what we're looking for here. All right, weapon number one is this, the weapon of prayer the weapon of prayer. This psalm is a prayer. It's a prayer that David prayed while he was being tempted and it's a prayer he prayed about his temptations. Let's look at verses one through four of Psalm 141. David says this, O Lord, I call to you, come quickly to me. Hear my voice when I call to you. May my prayer be set before you like incense. May the lifting up of my hands be like the evening sacrifice. In other words, may I pray worshipfully. May I pray every single day. He says, Lord, set a guard over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips that I would not sin with what I say. Let not my heart be drawn to what is evil to take part in wicked deeds. With men who are evildoers, let me not eat of their delicacies. Now I want you to notice here how David prayed and what he prayed for. He prayed passionately. He prayed earnestly. There was nothing nonchalant about this prayer. From the depths of his soul, he called out to God, that he might not sin and that God would give him the ability to say no to temptation. Notice what he prays for. He says, Lord, guard my lips, guard my heart, and guard my relationships. Those are wise things to pray for. Lord, let me not sin with what I say. Let let not my heart be drawn to evil deeds. And Lord, also, you've called me to love some people that don't love you. And some of those people are drawing me toward doing things that I should not do. Lord, let me not be wrongly influenced. Wise, wise prayers. Lord, guard my lips, guard my heart, guard my relationships. But the point here is simply this. When David was tempted, he prayed. He prayed. Let me ask you, when you're tempted, is it your first impulse to want to pray? I would dare say that probably for most of us, it's not. And the reason it's not is that for most of us in our families of origin, the worst thing you could do is confess your temptations to your mother or father. You know what I mean? Did you grow up in a family like that? You know, I can't imagine as a child having gone to my parents and said, by the way, I'm really tempted to steal a cookie cookie right now. Would you help me process that? It just didn't enter my mind to do that think when I was a teenager, if I would told my dad, Dad, I'm really thinking about breaking curfew tonight, taking, staying out till about 2 a.m., drinking with the boys. Will you help me process what's going on right now? I think my dad might have responded in a way like I'd already done the deed, you know? So here's the reality. We need a heavy dose of knowing that we're accepted in Christ to be able to have the courage to talk about our temptations to God. Does that make sense? A few months ago, Randy preached a series about the imputed righteousness of Christ. That is the righteousness of Christ that is credited to our our account by faith in Christ. And it is because of that imputed righteousness that we know we will always be nothing but loved by our Father. Though corrected, nothing but loved. And I need to know securely that I'm loved by the Father. And when I do, I will have... Of greater willingness to admit the depths of my sins and the strengths of my temptations. Got to know first of all, I'm accepted in Christ. I'm accepted in Christ. For me, it became a life changing thing to start praying about my temptations, to start processing. Lord, what's going on in my heart right now about this temptation? What need of my heart do I think will be answered by that sin? Is it the need for security, for approval? Is it the need for success? Is it the need for comfort? Is it the need uh, for, for whatever? And the more I process what's going on in my heart in prayer, the more I find that temptation loses its power. That's what can happen with you and me as well. We need that, don't we? We need the courage perhaps of a little boy that, Margaret Ann was, was babysitting. Margaret Ann's gotten to be close to one of the young ladies in our church here, and she has two little boys, and Margaret Ann, when I was away, was keeping these two little boys overnight, and they were supposed to be going to bed. And as they were supposed to be going to bed, one of the little boys came to Margaret Ann, and he had a piece of chocolate in his hand. And he said, um, I found this piece of chocolate. What do you think I should do with this? <laughs> I tell you what, that household probably has some great parenting going on. And how do I know that? because this little boy felt so securely loved, he could confess his temptation to steal the candy. We need to know that we're loved like that too. That we can go to the Father and say, I've found this dainty thing here. What should I do with this? And we know the answer. But when we go, we find his strength to say no. Weapon number one is the weapon of prayer. Weapon number two is the weapon of reproof. The weapon of reproof. Now, nobody likes to be corrected. Nobody likes to be rebuked. But where do we see this in the psalm? We see it in verse 5. David says, let a righteous man strike me. It's a kindness. Let him rebuke me. It is oil on my head. My head will not refuse it. So weapon number one, prayer. Weapon number two, reproof. We don't like to be corrected and rebuked and reproved. But David's attitude was this, I would rather be rebuked by someone who cares about my soul than be flattered by someone who cares nothing at all for my soul. David's attitude was reflecting the proverb that says, better are the wounds of a friend than the kisses of an enemy. And that's true. Let me ask you, are you willing for a friend to wound you if you need it? Hopefully that rebuke comes lovingly. Hopefully it comes gently. Hopefully it comes with, with care for your heart and your life. But however it comes, are you open to being corrected? The truth of the matter is all of us have blind spots. The truth of the matter is none of us get it right all the time. The truth is we all need the blessing of being rebuked. Weapon number one is prayer. Weapon number two is reproof. The third weapon is the greatest, biggest, strongest weapon of all. The first two weapons are really little weapons that take us to the third weapon. And the third weapon is indeed the weapon that makes the temptation surrender. And that is the weapon as the Lord being our refuge. The Lord himself as our refuge. Where do we see this? Look at verse 8. Verse 8 of Psalm 141. David says, but my eyes, the eyes of his heart, Are fixed on you, O sovereign Lord, in you I take refuge. Now, David honestly was here saying, Lord, I don't want to be killed by evil men. But in a bigger way, I think David was saying, I don't want to be guilty of horrible sin. I think if David had had to choose at that point in his life, will I be killed or will I sin against the Lord, he would have chosen death because he wanted to find a refuge from the temptation to do wrong. You know, the truth of the matter is this. You and I only will ever really seek a refuge from sin when we become absolutely convinced of this, that sin wrecks lives, that sin wrecks hearts, that sin wrecks families, that sin is an affront to a holy and loving and gracious God. A.W. Tozer said, God hates sin like a mother hates the polio that destroys the body of her child. And we will only really seek the Lord as a refuge when we understand and when we are convinced that sin makes us less than God designed us to be. It makes us less than what a human is supposed to be. We need to hate it like we would hate the polio that destroys the body of a son or a daughter. We're only going to flee to a refuge of sin when we're convinced that we need to hate sin, fear sin, flee sin like we would a lion that would devour us. I have two sons and two daughters. My youngest son is now working at a Christian camp in Stellenbosch, South Africa, outside of Cape Town. I know, rough assignment, but somebody had to do it, okay? He's over there sending back the most beautiful pictures on Instagram that you've ever seen, having the time of his life, uh, working there in South Africa. A few weeks ago, he went on a safari with some other people. Not the safari where you kill the animals, you just see them and take pictures, okay? So, no Cecil event in the cargo family, we're trying to avoid that. But on that safari, he was very close to some dangerous animals, elephants, rhinoceros, What's the plural for rhinoceros? I don't even know. Rhinoceri? I don't know. And lions. He was very close to all those things. But why was he not in danger, really? It was because of this. As long as he stayed in the Jeep, as long as he stayed in the minivan, that minivan, that Jeep was not only a mode of transportation, it was a refuge from danger. Stay inside of it, you're safe. Get out of it, you're not very safe. The Bible says that Jesus is our refuge at a time of temptation. There's a movie that's out right now about uh, Mount Everest. It's about a failed attempt to some people in 1996 to climb Mount Everest and get to the top. And hearing about that movie made me wonder about successful expeditions. And so I researched some successful expeditions to the top of Mount Everest as well as to the South Pole and the North Pole. And what I found out is that every expedition is, that is successful has been successful because there have been multiple places of refuge along the way. You and I need a refuge from temptation. And the heart of today's message is this, Jesus is the place of refuge when you're tempted. Jesus is the place of refuge when you are tempted. The balance of our time was talk about how is Jesus our refuge? Why is he the only refuge that will work? The New Testament talks about temptation and Jesus. It does so in Hebrews chapter 4. Look at these verses on the screen. The writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest, Jesus, who has gone through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace, not a throne of judgment, but a throne of grace with confidence. That we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Mercy when we've blown it, grace to help when we're tempted. Mercy when we've blown it, grace to help when we're tempted. You know, to understand the Old Testament, study the New Testament. To understand the New Testament, study the Old Testament. We're gonna look at this New Testament idea. Understand Psalm 141. Jesus is our refuge not only when we're guilty of sin. Jesus is our refuge when we are tempted. And here is the big idea of today's message. I don't want you to miss it. It is this. When tempted, Christ is our refuge because of the gospel is applied by the Holy Spirit, accessed by repentance and faith. Let me say it one more time. When tempted, Christ is our refuge because of the gospel is applied by the Holy Spirit, accessed by repentance and faith. You don't have to write it down in a hurry. You'll see it a couple more times. But Some of you may be saying, Bob, what you just said to me in that sentence, you might as well be speaking Japanese. There are a lot of words there that I don't understand. What does that mean? Let's unpack it in three parts very quickly. First of all is this. When tempted, Christ is our refuge because of the gospel. Because of the gospel. Now, what is the gospel? We throw that word around a lot in our church, and a lot of churches today throw around the word gospel. What is the gospel? Let me teach you a definition. I can teach you to memorize it in just a few sentences, in just a few moments here. The gospel is the good news of the life, death, resurrection, and reign of Jesus. Say it one more time, then I'll ask you to say it out loud with me. The gospel is the good news of the life, death, resurrection, and reign of Jesus. Would you say it with me? The gospel is the good news of the life, death, resurrection, and reign of Jesus. That's the good news. The Bible teaches that Jesus is our refuge when we are tempted because he he has the power of a sinless life. He's our refuge when we are tempted because he has died a substitutionary death for us. He is our refuge when we are tempted because he has been raised with a victorious resurrection. He is our refuge when we are tempted because he has ascended to the right hand of God the Father and there he reigns and there he pleads for you and for me when we are tempted and you know what he pleads? He pleads the power of his sinless life and he pleads the power of his shed blood and he pleads the power of his victorious resurrection and he applies all of that to you and me, when temptation is knocking on our door. Look again at verses 14 and 16 of Hebrews 4. He says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who's gone through the heavens, and the idea here is that Jesus has been like that great high priest who alone could go into the holy of holies of the temple, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Here's the picture of what the writer of Hebrews is saying. When Jesus came to earth, he was tempted just like you and me. But the difference is he said no every time. And so he takes into heaven the power of a sinless life. And then he died a substitutionary death for us sinners and he was raised from the dead. And he takes into heaven the power of an indestructible life. And then there at the right hand of God the Father at the refuge, he becomes our refuge because he pleads for us with an indestructible life and a sinless life that his death would take away our guilt and that his power would be our power. His perfect record replaces my blemished record. But not only that, his ability to say no to temptation can now become my ability to say no to temptation at least right now faith. Not perfectly, but at least right now, by the work of the Holy Spirit, his ability to say no can become my ability to say no. Why? Because he is pleading for me. He's pleading for me. In chapter 7, the writer of Hebrews put it this way, therefore he that is Jesus is able to save completely. By completely he means not only from the penalty of sin but from the power of sin therefore he's able to save completely those who come to God through him why because he always lives to intercede for them what a beautiful thought last week in this service you sang a hymn called come ye sinners I actually wanted to sing it again this week and they said no we sang it last week we're not going to do it two weeks in a row which we could have but here's what verse 5 says of Come Ye Sinners. It says, Lo, the incarnate God ascended pleads the merit of his blood. Venture on him. Venture wholly, that is, trust in him. Let no other trust intrude. That's what we're saying. The incarnate God is ascended to the right hand of the Father. And what is he doing there? He is pleading his blood for sinners. And is pleading his blood not only that his blood would forgive us of our guilt, but that his blood would empower us to say no to temptation. I love hymns with great theology. Another hymn with great theology is one from a long time ago. If you're from a high church tradition or no church tradition at all, you won't know this one. If you grew up in a low church church tradition, you might know it. Here it is. Would you be free from the burden of sin? There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Would you or evil of victory win? There's wonderful power in the blood. Now notice The blood of Jesus, the death of Jesus brings us forgiveness and it brings us freedom and victory. The next verse says, would you be free from your passion and pride? There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Come for a cleansing to Calvary's tide. There's wonderful power in the blood. The blood of Jesus brings freedom and forgiveness. Would you do service for Jesus your king? There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Would you live daily his praises to sing? There's wonderful power in the blood. In other words... The blood of Jesus not only brings us forgiveness, the blood of Jesus is our source of power to choose holiness. John Bunyan is sort of a hero of mine out of church history. He was a minister in the 17th century, the author of the book Pilgrim's Progress, and he was a hymn writer as well. And one of the poems he wrote is this one. I would really encourage you to memorize it. He said, run, John, run, the law commands, but gives us neither feet nor hands. For better news the gospel brings, it bids us fly and gives us wings now notice the commands of God are good we need the commands of God to know what holiness looks like to know we need a savior but the law cannot empower us to obey the law only the gospel can empower us to obey the law but also notice that the law tells us to run and the gospel goes beyond that it bids us and invites us to fly if you're in line with the gospel you always want to go beyond what the law requires you don't stop short what a wonderful, wonderful one. Would you read this aloud with me, please? "Run, John, run," the law commands, but gives us neither feet nor hands. Far better news the gospel brings. It bids us fly and gives us wings. Christ is our refuge when tempted, and he's our refuge because he pleads His blood for our forgiveness, and he pleads His blood for our obedience. Let's build our main idea. When tempted, Christ is our refuge because of the gospel as applied by the Holy Spirit. You know, a lot of churches don't talk about the Holy Spirit. I'm glad that our church does. Imagine that you're sick and you're ill and you go to the doctor and the doctor says you need an antibiotic. And In fact, you're so ill, I'm going to use a syringe and a needle to give you that antibiotic right now. Now, the needle is not the medicine, but the needle is the agent of applying the medicine into your body. The medicine we need when we are tempted is the medicine of the cross, and of the resurrection. It's the medicine of the gospel. But that medicine is applied to us. The agent of application is the Holy Spirit. Praise God for the Holy Spirit. I've used this, used this quote before, and I'll use it again unapologetically from Francis Schaefer in his book called True Spirituality. He says it this way, I became a Christian once for all upon the basis of the finished work of Christ through faith. That is called justification. The Christian life for sanctification operates on the same base, but moment by moment. There's the same base, Christ's work, and the same instrument, faith. The only difference is that one is once for all. The other is moment by moment. If we try to live the Christian life in our own strength, we will have sorrow. But if we live in this way, we will not only serve the Lord, but in place of sorrow, he will be our song. That is the difference. Don't miss this. The how of the Christian life is the power of the crucified and risen Lord through the agency of the indwelling Holy Spirit by faith, moment by moment. Praise God for the Holy Spirit. Let's finish the big idea of today's message. When tempted, Christ is our refuge because of the gospel is applied by the Holy Spirit, accessed by repentance and faith. Before I talk about faith, let me confess that the word access is too weak. I should have said apprehended by repentance and faith. Repentance and faith are the hands by which we grasp the cross of Christ. Maybe think, Bob, you're talking a lot about the cross. How do I grab the cross for me? You grab it by repenting from sin, turning around from sin, surrendering to the Lord, and by putting your faith in Christ. And especially when we are tempted, it is the hand of faith by which we grasp the cross of Christ. The hand of faith. In the early part of the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul talks about the obedience that comes from faith. Two implications there. One is faith always leads to obedience, and the other is this. You could obey out of you could obey out of fear, or you could obey out of pride. But those don't those things don't honor God. He wants you to obey out of faith. The book of Hebrews that we've been looking at, a great theme of it is the theme of faith. In chapter 11 of Hebrews, the writer gives us one example after another of people who obeyed by faith. By faith, Noah obeyed and built an ark. By faith, Abraham left his home and went to a promised land. Didn't even know where he was going, but he obeyed and he left. By faith, Moses said no to the pleasures of Egypt and chose to be mistreated with the Israelites. And he did so by faith. And over and over again in the book of Hebrews, it talks about people who obey by faith. And then the point of it all comes to us in Hebrews 12 too. In Hebrews 12 too, the writer says, Let us therefore fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of what? Our faith. The author and perfecter of our faith. When I put fix my eyes upon Jesus, Jesus comes to help me. And Jesus gives me more faith. Fixing my eyes on Jesus. And what does it say here in this psalm in verse 8? It says this, my eyes are fixed on you, sovereign Lord. In you, I take refuge. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. Let me close with... A story from my own life. How does this really work in real life? I'll give you an example from a sinner who sits on the stage. A few weeks ago, I went up to Dahlonega, Georgia to see one of our church plants on a Sunday morning, and that morning, McKay Caston, great, great preacher, God's doing great things in Creekstone, he preached from the life of Moses about how to handle criticism, and it was a sermon that I really, really needed to hear. Because earlier that week, some things had been communicated to me and said to me that were not an overt criticism, but they felt like criticism. I received them as criticism, and I was not handling it very well in my heart. I was very tempted to be defensive, to be argumentative in my own mind and heart. I was tempted toward bitterness or revenge or self-justification, and all those things were going on in my heart, and I knew it. And I desperately did not want those attitudes of heart to spill over into my words or my actions. So on the way back from Delonago, about the time I got on 400 coming south, I was thinking about McKay's sermon and I was thinking about this sermon that I was already working on. And this is what I began to do. I began to preach the gospel of a risen Savior to myself. I began to say to myself, for me, he lived, he died. He was raised again. For me, he reigns and pleads his blood. For me, he lived, he died, and was raised again. For me, he reigns and he pleads his blood. For me, with this temptation right now, to handle this temptation, he lived for me, he died for me, he was raised for me. He reigns for me and he pleads his blood for me. Then my heart would be set right instead of being set wrong. And Then I began to preach to myself, by faith I will say no to this temptation and I will choose to be satisfied with Jesus. By faith I'm going to say no to this temptation I will choose to be satisfied with Jesus. And you know what happened? Two things. One is I found myself open to being corrected if I needed to be. And number two, the temptations of all that ugly stuff in my heart, those temptations lost their power. By the time I got to Brown's Bridge, I was okay. I was okay. Lo, the incarnate God ascended, pleads the merit of his blood. Venture on him. Venture wholly. Let no other trust intrude. None but Jesus, none but Jesus can do helpless sinners good. There's a helpless sinner here. How about your seat? Is there a helpless sinner sitting there? You need Jesus, I do too, and the good news that he becomes ours in the gospel. This week you will be tempted and I will be too. Let us use the weapon of prayer, let us use the weapon of reproof, but most of all, let us run to Jesus as our refuge. He lives to plead for our obedience, amen, he's our savior. Let's pray. Oh Lord Jesus, we thank you, thank you, thank you you gave us a savior who would say no to temptation every single day of his life and he lived a perfect life for us we thank you that you gave us a savior who was willing to go to a bloody and awful and terrible cross and die an excruciating death for us to bear in fact your judgment upon our sins upon that cross we thank you O father for your power that raised our savior from the dead we thank you that he has ascended to your right hand O father We thank you that today when we are tempted, tomorrow when we are tempted, later this week when we battle that same temptation again, whatever it is, that our Savior will be pleading the power of a sinless life, a vicarious death, an indestructible life for us that we might obey and choose holiness. Lord, we ask you, lead us to be satisfied with Jesus. May we give up the idols of our hearts, all the wrong strategies to make life worth living. We thank you for our Savior, and especially for the power of his blood. We sing his praise now. In Jesus' name,
0: amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia.